You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. of movies, but you've never seen anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is wonderfully weird. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. It's fabulously freaky. It's a trip to transsexual Transylvania. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Hello, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. I'm Annie Rose Malamet, and this week I'm going to be talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show with my friend June. Hi, June. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, yeah, sure. I'm uh, I'm 26 years old. Um, I am a trans woman living in Brooklyn. I mostly... Um, I'm a writer and I books and like media has been hugely influential on me. Um, I'm definitely more of a reader. I read more than I watch movies, but, um, I, um, That's okay. Um, well, you're super smart. I haven't known you, I haven't known you a long time, but everything that you post on the internet, I always like really agree with, and um, can't wait to read more of your writing. And you were posting about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, which is like a landmark queer film. Like, let's be real. Probably one of the landmark queer films I was just posting about it today and I got so many messages from people being like this was like one of my formative gay experiences oh my god yeah I even had a a hard time re-watching it because it brought up so many of those feelings of being a queer teenager and watching it for the first time and just feeling like it was an absolute revelation. <laughs> and I mean, I watched it, I think, the first time when I was like, I want to say 13. And I already knew I was queer. Uh, I didn't know what that meant or like to the extent to which I was queer. But I... It was just super emotional for me because I could, for the first time, really saw, like, androgynous queer people, like, in a joyful way. Like, it wasn't a movie that was about struggle or coming out. Like, it was just this absolute celebration of it. And I just remember feeling like, wow, I cannot wait for that to be my life. <laughs> and it was, even rewatching it was emotional because it took me back to that headspace of being, like, that sad queer teenager it always takes me back to that headspace i was also around like 13 um i think on the dot 
um, I had a like one of those like casual girlfriends that you date for like three months or whatever. Um, and I was a like crossdresser for like most of my life. So it was like a very isolating thing and like coming into my like femininity before I could like transition and stuff. And I remember that she loved it and I had never seen it. And I was like, kind of like, ugh, whatever. Um, because I like associated it with like theater kids or something. <laughs> totally. Like I was not a theater kid. Um, and then we watched it and it was like the most amazing thing. And I used to come home from school and like watch that movie Me just too. like by myself, like multiple times like a week same it, it was so mind-blowing especially from a perspective of like it was 1975 right, right? um that there and even when I was like watching movies and growing up there was no cross-dressing anyone and there was no gender Bending, gender fucking anyone. Everyone was just like, um, there was not a lot of queer film that was visible. Um, and Rocky Horror is a really interesting example of that. Because um, Richard O'Brien, like, is like queer ish. I think he describes himself as like a third gender type deal. And like, we yeah. can get into his like messy messiness later on um but yeah well richard o'brien for people who don't know um wrote the movie um he wrote it mostly uh in 1970 during 1973 um he wrote it in one winter just to occupy himself <laughs> and then it he wrote it as a stage production and then it got picked up and it became a movie and it was initially a huge flop um, but then it gained like giant, gigantic cult status shortly after that because of the popularity of Pink Flamingos <laughs> as a midnight movie. Um, and a, a executive at Fox saw this opportunity uh, and uh, brought it brought it back as a midnight movie. Um, and I remember also when I was in high school watching a special on midnight movies. I was really into midnight movies. I used to go to them a lot. Now I'm like old and I'm in bed already. <laughs> but I was watching a special on it. And that's how I learned about, I knew about Rocky Horror, but that's how I learned about Pink Flamingos and uh, like really just bizarre shit like El Topo. Um, and I just became obsessed with that. I would see like they would... They showed like news clips from uh, 1975 of people like outside Rocky Horror dressed up and it was like people of all different like bodies and gender expressions. And I was just like enthralled and could not wait for that to be me. And I felt like so trapped at that time in my life. So it was just and like I like you, I used to come home and just watch it like I had such a deep connection to to the characters, to so many of the characters. It's so mesmerizing it really to watch. Is. It it is truly like one of the most surreal movie watching experiences I think I've ever had because there's so many layers to everything. 
Um, there's really great directing choices that are honestly beautiful and set design. And then there's weird line deliveries that just come out of nowhere. And you're like, how did this make it to the final cut? Totally. Weird directing choices. It, but it's so captivating. And it's so like referential of so many other things. Yeah, yeah. That you have to know about to understand it. So like through Rocky Horror, I came to a greater horror uh, love because I was like, I want to understand what these references are. So I started to, you know, watch the movies that they reference and I you know, would read a lot about online in 2003, read a lot about <laughs> about it and what the references were. And then I started going to live shows and pe- the callbacks from the audience. Um, and I started to get into that. Uh, I used to like be one of those people that like go like finds the live shows and goes to them. And I just remember it was being so emotional and crying after this is so corny but like I literally sobbed the first time that I went to go see it afterwards by myself because I I finally felt for the first time what it was like to be around not just around gay people but around a bunch of queer freaks and I was like wow like I had already reconciled with my queerness, but then to also reconcile with my weirdness was like a whole other thing. It is a whole other coming out and like being someone who's into like kink and like sadomasochism and BDSM and stuff like that. um, I associate that like freakiness and the outlandishness and the camp with my own sexuality and I I always tell people it was like I, I had my like several coming outs throughout the years of like just telling people my sexuality and my gender identity and stuff like that but one of the ones that really pushed me to the next level was coming out as like a freaky weirdo person and being okay with that um, and when I was watching Rocky Horror growing up I was not okay with that and Rocky Horror made me feel way more okay with it personally before I could be so open and like not give a fuck that people know that I'm a weirdo and if people say like "Ooh, that's weird that you do that like now I can be like yeah I don't give a fuck what you think and I like being a weirdo absolutely weirdo pride forever (laughs) um yeah, now I'm like talking. I'm like, oh, I don't want to edit this. And now I'm like, OK, now I have to pause and I'm going to have to edit it out. I'm going against my own rule. Um, oh, yeah. So this movie recently, I think since like Laverne Cox was in the mm-hmm. Fox production of it. I think it was a Fox production. It, it was whatever who some. I hesitate to believe that a group of humans made this movie um, because it seems like it was a literal algorithm and a board (laughs) decision that was like movie make. But uh, this movie was in fact made. You did not for like forget it. It happened. (laughs) Yeah. And I can't unsee. I wanted to watch it before we did this, but I just didn't get the chance. But I'm still still going to watch it. I mean, Laverne Cox is is very beautiful. So that's she looks like she's really like 
in a just great costumes in it and all that. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. It, it I not have not heard good things about it. But this, but Rocky Horror in general, I feel like that's when it really started to come under a lot of criticism from the new generation of queers that oh were. god and because rocky horror is transphobic haven't you heard yes people think it's transphobic they were pissed off that liver and cox was cast as somebody who is labeled as a transvestite which um, is so funny because one of the only redeeming qualities of that fox production is that they use she, her pronouns for her. And I think that was, I don't, I don't know if I like read it in an interview or something, but she like at the table was like, you are not calling me a fucking man. Yeah. Um, and like the, this goes into like queers not wanting to care about history, but I, I just finished reading today um, this book called The Stonewall Reader, which is like released by the New York Public Library and under the Penguin Classics imprint. And it is just all like firsthand accounts of people before, during and after Stonewall. And so you get to see what people were actually saying instead of hearing like what people 50 years later are saying that they said and getting to actually read Sylvia Rivera talk about the differences between transvestites and transsexuals and all this stuff and transgender people but how it was all interrelated and they're different stripes of the same community um transvestite was not necessarily the it didn't it had a much more powerful slant to it um and just it drives me nuts that people want to just like talk out of their ass and not and have no concept of like where transgender activism came from they were called street transvestite action revolutionaries um, they had transvestite in the name. Uh, it wasn't transphobic. Uh, these are the people everyone is talking about. And I just, I'm going on like a tangent. No, I mean, it's I'm a, sorry. No, no, no. It's a completely <laughs> relevant and important tangent. Um, I don't even think it's a tangent. Like, I think it's like intimately tied to this. I mean, this is like 1975. So maybe you have better perspective than I do about what was going on with trans rights in 1975. Um, And yeah, like you were saying, it's ahistorical to look at it. (laughs) Like it's this, you know, transphobic piece of garbage. Um, I mean, Richard O'Brien himself, like he he said he was inspired by glam rock at the time, Mm -hmm. which allowed him to be himself more, which I think a lot of queer people at the time were very drawn to glam rock. Oh, glam rock is like the gayest thing ever, but at the same time, it's so fucking straight. Like, totally. It depends yeah. on like what what the band is and like how they're acting. But um, yeah, the glam rock influence in that uh, movie is very pre- uh, prevalent. 
Yeah, and he he's come under controversy because in 2017, well, in 2009, he expressed that he feels neither male nor female, and he feels like he's um, a separate gender. I'm still using he, him because that's what he uses, um, that he feels like he's a completely separate gender. Um, and he came under controversy in 2017 because he said that you know, trans women are not real women, basically. Um, the direct quote was like, you're in the middle and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, I certainly wouldn't have the I wouldn't have taken the wedding tackle off or whatever. Uh, he said, this is a huge jump and I have all the sympathy in the world for anyone who does it. But you aren't a woman, which is like super fucked up. And oh, yeah, it's fucked up. And I'm mad at him. Yeah, and totally. It is definitely a betrayal. And it feels much like a betrayal of the source material. Um because he like that movie is such a gender fucky touchstone. Uh, he, I think he even used estrogen for a while. I he think did. He, he yeah. was on hormones for a while, and I think that's like a case of you see this a lot with people who have one specific experience, and then they want to make it a macro deal where it's like. Maybe he didn't feel like a woman. And so because he came to this conclusion on his own, that means that no one else is a woman and that this couldn't be possible. And it's like, okay, that might be your experience. And that's like, okay, that like you you tried something and it didn't work out for you. I always advocate for like potential trans people when they come out to me and they're like I don't know if I am I don't know what I am it's like well you can try and if it's not for you then it's not for you but it's a whole nother thing to then weaponize your singular experience against the very vast trans community um and it's very it's it is upsetting and I'm not one of those people that's like oh well like who, we don't need to criticize him because like whatever oh, our no, art is separate from the artist and like it is but at the same time it's like fuck that dude but I love this movie <laughs> absolutely yeah and it's like it's like a horrible, horrible thing to say. And like you were saying, it feels like somebody who had an experience and is like, just like you said, projecting that. Or like maybe even somebody who like can't even really go there with themselves and like feels like they have to like, you know, project that onto other people. It's like, I don't even want to psychoanalyze him. It's like it was, it goes against the spirit of like his entire like career um which i think is like part of why it's so upsetting um yeah and i just i just wanted to address that because that is like the thing that he said that people that is what people use to talk about why this movie is transphobic but like you were saying it's partly upsetting because it's so not like the movie (laughs) or like what the movie is about The film famously opens with these red lips, disembodied red lips on this black screen and they zoom in and they start singing with the song Science Fiction Double Feature. And those uh, are 
Patricia Quinn's lips, who plays Magenta, and the singing is Richard O'Brien. So immediately we are brought into that playful, androgynous space. Um, and that's going to like set the tone for the whole movie. <laughs> it's so funny. It's even like surreal to talk about this, just dissect it because this movie is like such a part of the fabric of who I am that it's even like sort of weird to talk about the plot. I'm like, yeah, of course, the lips. Of, it's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it is it is very weird to go like plot by like plot point by plot point of this movie because for me, it's always just been like an experience that yeah. I sit down and like the rest of my world completely blinks out of existence and everything I've ever felt is like pushed to the side. And it's like this movie and the feelings it gives me. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, even writing this, this, uh, these notes here was like a weird exercise for me. I'm like, what the fuck even is the plot? Like there, there's so many just things that happen. Like you said, it's an experience. Um, the song has all these b-movie references um so this movie is like a really a celebration of science fiction b-movies horror movies they uh, richard o'brien was inspired by hammer films which are um british horror films that came out around this time from the hammer production company the cast is introduced right in this really great way uh, mm. and then the first scene of the movie opens with a Christian heterosexual wedding oh yeah see this is like it it like practically writes itself how <laughs> um like ridiculously on point this movie is with like its messaging of like they start the movie at a wedding and it's like the like most milk toast guy with like the most like housewife woman who like they are at the wedding of their friends and then they too get engaged and it's like oh isn't it so amazing the american dream yes and then at the end of the movie they are beaten and battered as a <laughs> fucking castle blasts off into space and they have smeared makeup all over their faces they've all just like fucked everyone all night that, all night had like the most debaucherous pleasure and then at the end of the movie they are like facing it and it's like such a weird downer that like sometimes I'm, I'm never prepared for when the ending of the movie comes oh and yeah. so to like to bookend it that way where it starts out with, like, the heterosexual nuclear family and, like, bringing in, like, the state and religion and uh, also, like, the um, that they're, like, singing in a graveyard and then they're they go into the church and the, the funeral starts. It's like, wow. Oh yeah, right after the wedding. Um, yes, everything you're saying. You're so good. I just love, <laughs> I love how you, how you articulate things. Like, I, I just got to say that. Um, Thank you. And they sing Damn It, Janet, which is like the funniest song. And Riff Raff and Magenta and uh, Tim Curry are there. Oh like, yeah, yeah, the they wedding. they yeah. are. They play like weirdo like uh ushers, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're like those they're like the American Gothic couple with the pitchfork. Yes. Yeah. And uh which I love. It's so funny. And 
you don't know it when you first see the movie, but it's hard for me to even think about that because I've seen it so many times. Um, okay. It's, oh, a, yeah. it's a movie that uh, it improves on multiple watchings because you pick up on stuff like that. Yes. And then you start thinking, it's like, are they meant to be the actual riffraff and magenta? No, it couldn't be. But like, why the fuck are they there? Like, yes. It's, it's just such a weird thing. Yeah. And, and even I think... Today, when I rewatched the movie, I noticed things I had never noticed before. Oh, I noticed so much on this rewatch. Tim Curry is the priest. Oh, yeah, yeah. he is the priest. And he's, like, talking to them and kind of conspiring. So I'm thinking maybe it, they are supposed to be them, the characters. Uh-huh. Barry Boswick and Susan Sarandon are, like, perfectly cast. Oh, the every single person in this movie is cast in the perfect roles. Yeah. Um. I, when he proposes to her, he drops the ring before he can like get it on her hands, and he always does this thing where he like shakes with nervousness. But it's like it's so ham fisted and it's so cute, it's perfect. Um, and she's like basically like fainting all over every set she's on, and it's it's so amazing. It's like, so funny. It's overacted. But it's probably the best overacting in history. Yes. And most of the people in this movie were actually the original cast of the the stage show. Yeah. Um, Tim Curry was an original cast member. They just, in, Fox insisted that uh, two American actors be Janet and uh, Brad. So <laughs> that's why Barry Boswick and Susan Sarandon were chosen. Um, so then we meet the criminologist who's going to guide the narrative of the story. He's I the thing uh, one of the things I noticed on this rewatch was like his cravat is extremely gay. <laughs> it's like red <laughs> with like <laughs> with like black glitter lace on it. Um see, I never noticed that. Yeah, I had never noticed it in all these years. So, uh Brad and Janet are driving to go see Dr. Scott, Brad's former professor this is one of those things about the movie that i sometimes just like don't get it's like they want like his blessing kind of yeah like we need to go see the man who began it janet yeah. um and it's like well why like you got you met, met and you got yeah. <laughs> you, you you met in his class so you have to go celebrate your engagement with him yeah um, it's just like so weird and it is funny because it does come into play later in the movie, but it's just one of those things that's just like plot convenience. Yes. Um, as they're driving in the car in the rain, they're fucking listening to Nixon's resignation speech. <laughs> Once again, did not realize that, but yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's Nixon's resignation speech, which like people are like, oh, that doesn't make sense. He didn't give that speech at night. And I'm like, but let's think about why they chose that mm-hmm. to be in the car. Like these people are like the perfect image of at the time, like Amer- and still of like American conservatism and like the perfect, you know, nuclear family. And Nixon, you know, in many ways embodies that. Like those are the people that would have voted for Nixon. <laughs> um Okay. They get a flat tire. Uh, then they see some motorcycles go by too, and they they're like, "What are all? Where are all these motorcycles coming from?" <laughs> they get a flat tire, and uh, they're Janet's like, "Well, wasn't there?" Brad is like, "Wasn't there a castle 
all the way back there. A couple miles, they say. Yeah, a couple miles back. And they decide to go to this castle, and then they sing um, The Frankenstein Place, that great song. And Riff Raff has a great, played by Richard O'Brien, has a great solo in the window of the castle Mm -hmm. in this song. Um, And... That song always gets me like really emotional. It's, it's a it's, really it's, emotional song. It's, it's really a beautiful. very weird emotion um, because the rest of the movie is not, even when it's sad, it's not that like somber but hopeful. Yeah. And that song is just like an outlier that it it serves pretty much like no plot relevance that they sing that song as opposed to like other songs in it. It's just like them walking up to the castle. Yes. And it's also weird that they call it the Frankenstein place. Like it makes sort of makes sense because there's like a sort of kind of like Frankensteinish plot in this movie. Um, yeah. It, it's just like a retelling of Frankenstein, but really gay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Riff Raff answers the door. Uh Lightning strikes and like illuminates these motorcycles. So we were like, oh, the motorcycles were that's where they were coming from. Um, and then we also meet, oh, Brad says that this place is some kind of a hunting lodge for rich weirdos. <laughs> and it's, Brad's little quips, like, yes, are, the, are so great, it's so good. And we meet Magenta, she like is almost camouflaged on the stairway and then she's like he's lucky I'm lucky you're We're all lucky <laughs> so good <laughs> um and this is when we have the time warp and I my note here is that this party looks like every queer party like it's there's so many different kinds of people at this party and there's a fat person and there's just like all kinds of weirdo androgyny going on everybody's wearing a suit with full face of makeup um and the time warp it's not my favorite song in the movie but it's like it's not my favorite song either but it's like it's the first time in the movie that you're like it takes it to the next level um, where it's like, once again, one of those songs that doesn't really have much of a plot relevance. It's not like Hot Patootie, um, where it's like a song that actually like advances things. It's just kind of them celebrating like who they are, and it kind of prepares you for the weirdness that will then come with the next song, which is really like when things start to kick up. But it it definitely like separates like what came before from like oh okay now you're in it yeah no you're right and it's you're in a warp like you're yeah it really does like it warps you it's like you just have no idea what you're going on but you're into it you're like so like you want to do the fucking time warp oh my god i like wanted i wanted to do it while i was watching the movie (laughs) um and then we meet Columbia during the song also, who's Columbia one of, one of my favorite is like characters. my favorite character too. And I think I will always be upset that she never gets as good of a moment as she does in this song with mm. her tap dance. Yeah. Um like she has many great moments and I think that like throughout the movie, like I'm always enjoying watching her. 
but just like her entire outfit when she does like she like licks her lips at one point um that like bite line yes. where she's like yes. it's like it's fucking incredible and when she oh no falls, no wait that's in that's in uh uh in sweet, sweet transvestite but it all you know it's all it's blending together yeah yeah um she does though during her tap tap dance there's like a really interesting character development moment where she falls and she's like pissed off about it oh uh, yeah and then she like gets back up and just kind of like uh f- like flips her hat and like flips her hair and is like i've got it oh my god and she's so hot oh she's so hot i when i i was lucky enough when i first saw this movie to have like a group of queer friends already um and we all dressed up as different characters for Halloween uh, from this movie <laughs> that year. And I was magenta. And the first girl I ever had sex with was Columbia. <gasps> yeah. This is like, oh, this is like the fan fiction of my soul. Right? My oh, dreams. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, magenta, Frank, and Columbia are like to me like my big gay root like gay femme root like they're the three of them are so hot absolutely magenta's like gothic like made shtick um and then i was just thinking about this today so this is like on so many levels but like as a kinkster like i've never viewed this movie through the lens of like they are literally like in service to frank yes and like voluntarily like, yeah, yeah voluntarily probably because he's really good in bed exactly oh my god cuz then we get to the song sweet transvestite this is when we meet frank um i just can't say enough about frank like i he's so hot like this when he says I'm not much of a man by the light of day but by night I'm one hell of a lover once again it's like there you have to realize and I think a lot of people are fortunate enough to have not come out before a time when Laverne Cox could be on Time Magazine and could be cast basically the leading role in a movie on Fox. But there was, for the longest time, absolutely no depictions of trans people in any sort of, like, widely available movie. And this one is particularly memorable because you don't know how he became this way. You don't know really much ever about who he is as a person other than what you see directly in the movie which is that like he's hot he loves dressing like a hot ass slut and looks good doing it and also has like a vicious streak in him that like if you cross him he turns into like the most like sadistic top and he will always get what he wants um and then at the same token, he is, like, pretty much, like, you could debate, like, oh, he's, like, bisexual, pansexual, just generalized queer. I think he just likes to fuck so much. Yes. And that's, like, the um, the implication. And I guess some people start to—this is where the problems come in, where people are like, oh, he's a personification of pleasure 
as like villainy. And that is why him being a transvestite uh, coded kind of like as a transsexual is so problematic. Uh, But I differ in that, like, for me, like, are you telling me that only, um, like, cis people can be villains? Like, I love a good trans villain. Oh, yes. Um, And I think this is probably, like, the best trans villain ever. It's incredible. Right. And also, like, how many trans people do we ever see still um except like very very recently who get to be sexual like a lot of representations are people who are like really suffering and struggling and like and that's all like well and good because suffering and struggle is like the um daily experience but at the same token it's like you want like a level of escapism you want a level of variety um unfortunately now as trans stories become more palatable for people to tell you get a lot of these like run of the mill coming out or like i would say just like coming into their own stories which is it just gets so samey and it's like it's nice to have different characters doing different things you never really hear him talk about until the very very end like why he wanted to like dress like Faye Ray um and the whole story is not really about his transness or being a transvestite they just kind of accept it like after Sweet Transvestite, I think it's like two more songs maybe. And Janet is like, oh, oh, they oh. They accept it and like worship him. Yeah, like, the, absolutely. His lovers worship. Like they, they're, like you said, in service to him, like very voluntarily. They, like Columbia... I don't know. I mean, it's kind of ambiguous, but like her solo in Time Warp, I think, is about Frank, where she's like, you know, I was walking down the street and like this guy picked me up. And I think she's talking about Frank and like how she came. Yeah, it is. It is very ambiguous. Yeah. Um, So that's I mean, that's one of I think that's my all time favorite song in the movie, Sweet Transvestite. And we learned from that. They're from uh, a place called Transsexual Transylvania. (laughs) Uh, I want to live there. Me uh, too. Yeah. I like every morning I wake up and I'm like, I'm not in transsexual Transylvania, yeah. but how can I make my life more like I am? Yes, absolutely. Um, they, oh, and I mean, just like every detail, like Frank's outfit, makeup, like the boss tattoo. The boss tattoo is stunning. It's everything. Um, then... Uh, you know, he says, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. And he goes up to his laboratory and uh, Janet and Brad are stripped by Riff Raff and Magenta. And uh, they're like already obsessed with with Frank. They're like, yeah, they're loving. enamored. Yeah, they're- like they're kind of pissed because they just want to like leave. But they're like they start getting pulled in. And I think this is where the movie is so poignant with 
the like American dream kind of like subversion of like like conservatives are fucking perverts and there's all this repression and you give them the little inch and then they start to get pulled in. Yeah, we're forcing the queer agenda on them in this movie. Yeah, this movie is literally the queer agenda. It really and is. the sexual agenda. Yes. Um, they go up to the lab. Frank gives an amazing speech talking about how he discovered the secret to life, how to make life, uh, how to make a, a, a person. And uh, Rocky is born in this... Uh, it's so fun. There's so many layers here. Like the tank that Rocky is in, um, when Frank, when that apparatus comes down and Frank is like moving those little liquid things. He's just like putting things. food coloring It's in. food coloring, <laughs> but it's a rainbow tank. Yeah. Oh man, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And I would, I would have to like double check and see when actually the rainbow started to be used. But that to me, like that's such a perfect way for Rocky to come into existence. Um, and then he sings the uh, the Sword of Damocles. He's born, Rocky is born in a gold lame panty <laughs> and boots. And he sings the Sword of Damocles he- uh, song. Um, and then Frank uh, says, sings the song, I Can Make You a Man. Uh, which is like a whole, just elaborate, like Charles Atlas tribute. Like in just seven days, I can make you a man, which is the Charles Atlas ad. Uh, And he gives Rocky these candy cane barbells. Oh, yeah. It's like the gayest fucking movie. It really is. It's so, oh. And like they're like, they have their hands all over each other. They're like. Rocky starts like humping that horse, or he, which or is so Frank, hot. Frank starts yeah. humping the horse. Hot. Um, I was like, "Do that to me." <laughs> <laughs> um, Femtop dream. Yes, yeah, seriously, like, oh, like the hottest. And this like podcast has just become me like ranting about how horny I am for all these movies. Um, but whatever. <laughs> oh, I'm like, this movie makes me so fucking horny. I was like, legitimately I w- horny after I watched like, it. My, I will talk about it when we get there, but my favorite part is the floor show oh. just because of like the costuming and the outfits yes. and like, it made me be like, when is the next time I'm going to wear like garters? Yes. Um, right. And high heels. Because for me, that's like, that's me and my element. And that's me and my sexual element where I'm like, I could take on the fucking world and I could be a star at the floor show. Yes. Um, and. Oh, okay. Then we get hot patootie. So then we get fucking Eddie. Which Eddie. Is, this is probably for me, like the most fun song yeah. in the movie where it just like it comes out of nowhere that like in the middle of a song, quite literally, because then there's the reprise at um, after this song, you get what is basically four minutes of Meatloaf, who is like this metal like, why is he in this movie? Yeah. He's this metal musician. But he s- completely steals the show and then fades away and is and is only reference. He gets killed at the end of the song. Um, but he's so fucking hot. So hot. Um, and we were talking about this earlier today, but he really is like 
a fat queer icon. He, oh, I mean, I one of my friends who had also ended up being a dyke was Eddie in the this, during this Halloween. I had and, a, I had a dyke message me and be like, I was Eddie. I used to play Eddie. Of course. And it, and, and it was incredible. Of course. And my friend was also fat. And it's, I mean, at the time, I think I didn't understand, like, my connection to this character. But, like, everything, I mean, he busts out of a freezer on a motorcycle singing, like, with this big gash in his head, this cool as fuck vest that says baby on it on the back (laughs) and with like leather patches and it's just like he's everything and like yeah a fat queer icon like he's like the leather bad boy of the 50s yes absolutely and um I think like it is ambiguous but I think we're to assume that like Eddie was also one of Frank's lovers at some point I believe so this is one of those things where it's like the plot of this movie is pretty irrelevant to the experience. Right. But it is implied that Frank is kind of like polyamorous where he like kind of fucks everyone um, and he kind of has like a primary normally but then moves around. So he goes for like I think it's like Columbia then Eddie and then Eddie is like a fucking crazy person. Um, and he, the, Frank's secret to life, it is implied that he took half of Eddie's brain. Right. Um, and that's why Eddie has that gash in his head. Yes. And so Rocky is just half of Eddie's brain, which is why Rocky's kind of like. Dumb. So named for the rocks in his head yeah. as Columbia, it yeah. says later in the movie. Um, so he like doesn't really ha- like he can't he Rocky only ever speaks during the songs really yes uh, or grunts yeah and then I guess Eddie and Columbia had some kind of relationship and maybe Frank was like jealous of yeah their relationship so it puts him in the freezer yes but then he busts out with his motorcycle yes. I don't even know how that's possible <laughs> well he's like well we'll keep keep the motorcycle with you um, and then like you were saying. Uh, Frank kills Eddie with a pickaxe. Very vicious. Yeah, very vicious. And then sings the I Can Make You a Man reprise. And they, Rocky and Frank go to their wedding. (laughs) Yeah, they literally, they like go fuck. And like, once again, I think it's so hard for people to understand what this was like. Because it's not just a subtextual relationship. It is very much like, we have queer desire. Oh, it's textual. And we, yeah. yeah, and we are going to our wedding bed on our night, and we just sang a bunch of songs about fucking and how much we love fucking. Yes. And, like, there's so many um, homosexual relationships referenced. And there's even an incestual relationship that is heavily implied. Yes, um, between which is Riffraff and Magenta. Riffraff and Magenta. Yeah, it's even seeing it in 2003 was a revelation. Like most queer representation up until very recently has been subtextual, like you were saying. And a lot of it is still subtextual. Right. I'm still like definitely not going to get into it. But there was a show called The Legend of Korra where basically they make the two women get together at the end, but they don't kiss. And then it took... The, and then they came out and they were like, yes, we meant that to be like them 
saying their love for each other, but it's like, but why couldn't they even fucking kiss? And so it's like this whole thing. And this was like 2015 or something, you know? So we still have this problem where queer desire is seen as more suspect. Right. Um, and more like you can't show this because people won't buy it and people will pick at it and and stuff and it's like we're in 2019 and we're still dealing with this. Yes. This movie had them like whoa. <laughs> yeah, n- straight up fucking um in a marriage bed. And then we get some more fucking with two of my favorite scenes in the movie um where Brad and Janet are separated into their separate bedrooms and uh, Riff Raff and Magenta are watching them on a screen, which is hot to me as a a voyeur. (laughs) Um, And uh, Frank comes in dressed as uh, Brad first and seduces Janet. And to me, like when I saw that as a teen, I registered that immediately as like something really queer. Like I was just like, "Ooh, this is uh, this is doing something for me." <laughs> like, oh, it gets you going. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And just like, I mean, that it, it's it's hot when Frank is with everybody, but <laughs> I especially liked seeing him with uh with a woman uh and uh, cuz I could imagine myself <laughs> in that position um and then uh F- Frank also seduces Brad <laughs> uh dressed as Janet and which is also a really hot scene and uh it's yeah i mean i'm like going off into fantasy land but the other thing i want to stress um with why these scenes are so iconic is that frank is a transvestite and normally transvestite is coded as like meek submissive um shy not very sexual or unsure of themselves and shameful and like some of these things are like really hot and really okay and you can like eroticize all of these things like I am a submissive trans woman who like engages in that way sexually and that's like where I like to be but Frank is like a femme top and he takes control he seduces and there is no question about oh you're wearing like panties and a corset and high heels like you couldn't seduce anyone you can't like he he says it himself he's one hell of a lover and and he he really must be because he drives everyone crazy about how good he is yes i mean i i mean even just those the brief glimpses during those uh like sex scenes you can see how i mean he's just like takes what he wants and it's it's hot. Like you, who among us like does not want to forget about all of that like baggage and shame and just like be like captivated by somebody who just like wants you like so much. And I mean, that's like part of the appeal for a lot of people who are into BDSM, like somebody just like kind of making you experience pleasure. Um and that's what happens with both of them. Like, they're so uptight. They're such uptight people. Oh, yeah. And they just got engaged 
less than 24 hours ago right. and wanted to pledge the rest of their lives to each other and both commit infidelity. And so it brings into question both that system of power and is this really the right way to operate like sexually romantically like um it turns it's on turns it on its head um and it's like well what is it about like monogamy and marriage and commitment that is so captivating to people especially if it could be so undone by just like one good fuck absolutely and i also love when Frank, when Brad says, what have you done with Janet? And Frank is like, nothing. Why do you think I should? (laughs) (laughs) Blatantly lying. But it's, oh my God, so hot. Um, Riff Raff has like a, there's like a weird interlude where Riff Raff torments Rocky with these uh, lit candles. And you can see Rocky is chained to the bed. Uh, And then he rips off his chains and runs out. And, uh, that's when Riff Raff interrupts uh, Frank and Brad and is like, he's escaped. He's roaming the castle grounds. And Frank <laughs> is like, coming, like mid blowjob. <laughs> um, and this is, Janet is like having a moral crisis. And she's like, why did we come here? And she wanders up into the lab and finds Rocky crying. And this is when she has another kind of sexual awakening. And, um, she sings touch a touch a touch me and fucks Rocky as Magenta and Columbia have like a kind of lesbian moment uh, at, as they're watching her on their screen in their room, which is the coolest room ever. Their bedroom oh, yeah. Is their so bedroom cool. is great. Yeah. And it also has that giant picture of Eddie. Yeah. On the wall. <laughs> right. It's like fucking huge. It's it takes up the whole wall. It's huge. I mean, there's just like this movie is full of like people who aren't typically seen as like hot icons being worshipped like fat people trans people like it's amazing in that way and once once again uh no character ever brings up like oh eddie can't be like a hunk he's fat right like there, it's not even a question he immediately steals the show when he comes in during hot patootie and everyone like even frank who like has a history with him is like kind of like a bit mesmerized for a second and so are Brad and Janet who are like just being thrown into this rabbit hole um and there's there's no like no one says he's fat in the movie he just like is is fat himself like doing like living his best freak life until yeah. he dies right it's, it's wonderful it and is she wonderful. is she is devastated about it for the rest of the movie yeah um and oh, there's this interesting moment when they have sex, Janet and Rocky, where Janet sees uh, Rocky's face as like all the different people in the movie. That That is another weird directorial choice. It's like, creature of the night. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, I think, you know, Frank sort of like inspired this like sexual awakening in her. And he even says later in the song, uh, Planet Schmanet Janet, uh, when he's like, when we made it, did you hear a bell ring? And it's like, yeah, he like changed her life. Like she was all of a sudden like, I want to be a slut too. Uh, and Frank, uh, Dr. Scott shows up, who's like the most boring character in the movie. Uh, but he shows up and Frank is like, 
pissed off because he knows Dr. Scott is after him. And Brad is like, oh, that's Dr. Scott. I know him. So Great Scott. Yes. <laughs> so Frank is like Cue accusing the toilet him. paper th- flying Yes, the right. Yes. Um, Frank is like, oh, you know him. You must be conspiring. Uh, Scott, Dr. Scott enters the house through the Zen room. The Zen room. One of those, like, it's like, what the fuck? Why is this in the movie? Oh, but yeah. it's the Zen room. It yeah. just has to be in the movie. And yeah. if you took it out, the movie would lose something. Yes, the Zen room. And he, uh, he he's like, Frank, like, turns on this magnet. And Dr. Scott is, like, whoosh, whooshed into the lab. And uh, this is when Frank finds uh, Rocky and Janet. Uh, and he's pissed off. And he's like, okay, now we're going to have dinner. <laughs> Formal wear is optional. Uh, this is like this is like the poly like primary partner shit where it's like you start like it's like so everyone can fuck everyone. But like these two people fucked and now you're like pissed about it for like whatever reason. It's it's so interesting. It is interesting. It's like they they couldn't quite conceptualize uh, like a full like relationship anarchy scenario yeah there had to be like some kind of vestige left over from uh well because he's like the dom who sets the rules and yeah. they break the rules totally like rocky had potential like it's presumed he had never been with anyone else before frank because he's only been alive for seven hours yeah well and it, it's almost like Maybe Frank just needs to give permission for people to like get together. Like he, exactly, yeah. It's like a weirdo. Like like the Dom sets the rules. Yeah, and they're like breaking away. Right. They have dinner. Um, Doctor Scott has a song about Eddie. Uh, Eddie's Teddy, and which is probably like. I sing along to it, but it's probably one of the worst songs in the movie. It's it just, is. It's just so weird. And like, like, I guess it gives you Eddie's backstory a bit, but it just kind of is like, it's before Planet Schmanet Janet. Like, it's after all this cool shit happened. And the dinner scene is pretty cute. It's actually really funny. It is. They realize they're eating Eddie. Um and I, I mean, some parts of Eddie's Teddy I like it's when a tender subject. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, when like when Doctor Scott is like, uh, from the day she was gone, all he wanted was rock and roll porn and a motorbike, and I'm like, I want that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we, you know, we just learned that he was like a delinquent, and so he fell in with these delinquent aliens. Um, and then Frank, uh, Rocky, and Frank is just pissed and he rips the tablecloth off and we see Eddie's quote unquote corpse. Yeah, wonderful special effect. Yeah. <laughs> it under the table. Janet and Rocky like embrace. Frank is pissed off and then uh Frank chases Janet up into the lab singing Planet Janet Janet and he's like tells her like you're as sensual as a pencil. Like, you need to build your thighs up. <laughs> you better wise up. Yes. Janet Wise. Yes, exactly. Um, and then they're all, like, defending her. Like, Brad and Dr. Scott are defending her, which is accurate. Like, they're, you know, they got to protect the the skinny white cis lady against Frank or whatever. Um, and then he... Uh, 
with a device, like glues their feet to the floor, basically, and then turns them into statues, Columbia included. Um, definitely the weirdest line of the movie by far is, you're a hot dog. Yes. Um, and it's funny because it makes sense because his name is Frankenfurter. Yeah. But they start singing it and they're like, you're a hot dog and you better not try to hurt her. Frank Furter. <laughs> I'm surprised more singing hasn't happened. I know. Then. I was like, should we I don't want to like- subject people to like me not being like I can sing like I'm a singer. I used to actually play some Rocky Horror songs oh, at cool. like open mic nights. I used to do That's science great. fiction double feature. Um, One of the best Especially ones. like in my earlier like cross-dressing days and whatnot. But I don't know. It's like more fun to like talk about it. Like we all know the lyrics. We've all sang it a million times. Yeah. Uh, but then when when Janet's blinks out, it's just like you're a hot dog, and it boom. <laughs> and the switch also says Medusa, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they get Medusa. Um, Columbia as well because she's like pissed off. I mean, upset about Eddie. And then we get the floor show. My favorite part of the movie like this is like I cry when I think about it oh it's so emotional I mean it's the climax it's yeah. obviously the climax and and that song is just like one big orgasm it's three songs uh, kind of linked together into one song that tell like a complete like three act structured story yes um, where you get Basically, all four of the the main cast uh, are decked out in garters, heels, corsets. This and and this is how the movie is such so weirdo because you could just play this as them in like full beat of like very standard makeup, but they have this like weird uh, white face paint on them, and the makeup is very different. But it's there's all these female signifying things on them, including Rocky and uh, Brad. And, they look great, and they look great in it. Like Rocky looks so wonderful. He like hum- he humps the boa. I'm just seven hours old. Truly beautiful to behold. <laughs> um, but like Columbia's verse in it, where uh, she's just like talking about like pleasure um and rocky is he was just born and so pleasure is kind of like all he's ever known yeah for his seven hours that he's been alive uh brad has like this weird like guilt about his mom that he re- references in the net <laughs> help me mommy, mommy. and then Which he's later like- he he says again and don't uh don't dream it be it um and then Janet is like she's complete and she has gone from like fainting all over the set to like sex goddess and she like she feels released um her confidence has increased and she is absolutely owning it out of everyone up there and it's like probably the most transition of any character Brad is still an unsure of himself Columbia has already like been like this Rocky is like he's new to it but Janet is like 
she wants to fuck and she knows it. She now. knows it. And also in the scene, like feminists is equated with like sexual liberation. Yeah. Like, the corsets, the garters, like when Brad is like, I I feel sexy. Like it's so beautiful. And but. usually we run into this problem where androgyny is coded as like male signifying clothing and right. male signifying energy. Um, in queer culture, it's like maleness is seen as the default. But in this movie, it's turned on its head and and femininity is the thing that signifies this like gender fucky androgyny where it's like it's not necessarily drag it's something different um it really is like onto a world onto its own it has like burlesque influence but it also has campy drag and then it also has like freaky horror show aspects of it um so that part of the song ends and then you finally get Frank starts to come clean about um, he had a thing for Fay Ray. Um, As it clung to her to thigh, how, how I started, started to, to cry. Because I wanted to, to be, be dressed just the same. And so then you get like the very... Uh, it's it's slow going and then the orgy begins where they they jump into the pool and they are just fucking like it's the best. It's like a fully pansexual orgy. Like <laughs> And and you start seeing characters who you haven't seen kiss, like yes. Columbia kisses Brad. I was just seeing today, like um I feel like Janet's getting her titties sucked. Yeah. Um it's just all out. Like they are all fucking yeah and it's beautiful it really is um and frank says give yourself over to absolute pleasure which is a great line and i yeah i fucking love the pool orgy and uh then frank busts out of the pool and he sings wild untamed thing yes and then that's when they get interrupted uh, by Riff Raff and Magenta, who are like now in full B movie sci fi garb. And I just want to like, as uh, someone who's like the floor show is my favorite part, uh, Wild and Untamed Thing is like that triumphant feeling after like the best orgasm of your life. It's yes. like, it's that like victory of like, yes, this is like pleasure is all worth it. Um, and then they bust in right at like it's like it's taking the wind out of Frank's sails completely. Oh, yeah, you're right. And we also forgot to mention that Dr. Scott is also in drag. Dr. Scott is in drag. Yeah. And he like doesn't get his like just do. But um, he from his wheelchair is uh, in in garters and heels and yeah, living his life for the thrill yes for the thrills um and which is probably the best part of his character because yes. the rest of it is very one note um but that part is always like it's like you see it coming and it's so like oh when he lifts his leg yes. and and he, even when they're doing wild untamed thing he like clacks his heels yes, and stuff like that across the stage so then they they bust in yeah, and, and the jig is up riff raff has a like a a weapon that looks like a pitchfork like he was carrying in the beginning like, but it's a laser but it's a laser yeah 
and um, he's like, your lifestyle's too extreme. <laughs> and then Frank is like, let me explain. And then sings, um, what is that song called? Uh, I see blue skies oh, through the tears. In my I'm eyes. going home. Yeah, I'm going home. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't Frank, know why. Like I, I'm, I was also blanking on the name yeah. for a second. It kind of it's it's weird because it's technically like the last song. Song you get superheroes and then you get the um the science fiction double feature reprise. But this is like the last song that's really about like the plot and superheroes is like an epilogue and then like. Science fiction is like, okay, like you're leaving the theater music. Right. Um, so it's 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 very strange. It's kind of like the climax is over. And so Frank gets to kind of explain himself. And uh, it's very like Frank. It's ham-fisted. Um, I think one of the most telling parts of it is like he motions for Columbia to get the spotlight on him because you need the spotlight when you're at death's door and you are explaining yourself. Um, so there's like the skies uh, project on the back of the curtain and he envisions these seats are empty. And then he envisions that he is like at basically a show that is sold out and people are celebrating him for how amazing he is. Um, as a true narcissist and it's it's very touching in that you really do feel for him in this moment um that he is like coming to his end and he's trying to bargain his way out of it um before he is killed um but it's really sad it is very song gets me too oh the ending always gets me and then when they finally they shoot frank and then rocky carries his body up the rko tower like king kong fey ray references king Mm. kong references and they shoot him too and then um dr scott is like you did the right thing and i'm like shut the fuck up yeah, old man fuck yeah. you <laughs> uh, and and what's funny is it's kind of implied so this is one of the things that's a bit obscured about like through the movies plot is like why do they do this um it's kind of implied that riffraff has, is jealous and has kind of been cast to the side and he has some very latent issues like magenta goes like i thought you liked him which is so funny because it's like you're part of a mutiny magenta why are you saying i thought you liked him he liked you he didn't like me he never liked me (laughs) like it's so um so it's 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 personal. They make it seem like it's they like are it's just political. Like, we are, we are yeah. done with your uh, utopia of sexuality. We want to go back to our home, um, and they they do reference it to him earlier um, after Planet Planet Janet, uh, but it is it is definitely an obscured intention and. 
you know, even just them like killing Columbia, I was trying to justify it to myself where it's like she was a fanatic and she still was into Frank. So maybe that's why they killed her first, because they knew that she wouldn't take it and she would like attack them or something. But they are really the only ones that like make it out and they are merciful to the earthlings. Mm hmm. And they blast off, and then we get superheroes. Superheroes makes me cry. Like, it is so emotional. And they're just like on the ground in this mist, this and the smoke as the, the castle blasts off and becomes a spaceship. And they're just like, like you said earlier, like battered and fucked and just like they. They're, they don't even know like what to do with themselves. It is essentially like metaphorically what happens the morning after an infidelity and mm. the feelings that go along with it and the feelings of like isolation um, and can we ever really be like two people united and not hurt each other and what do we do when we do hurt each other Um and having to own up to your mistakes and your humanity. Um, and so it's it's a very short song. It's like a minute, like 30 seconds maybe or something, not even. Um, and funny thing was it, was it used to be cut out mm-hmm. of Rocky Horror, including um, there's a song Once in a While, which is like a deleted scene that like it just, it has no place really in the movie. I think it's like, is it Brad is like lamenting Janet cheating on him or something? I think it's still in the stage show, but is it? Yeah, um, yeah. I haven't actually seen the scene. Um, yeah, it's like a nothing deleted scene. I think I've seen it on the DVD. It's never anything I feel like I need to go back to. But superheroes now is widely put back in, uh, where you actually get the whole song. It used to just be they blast out. They blast off and you see them on the ground and then the criminologist comes in and gives the the final yeah. monologue. That's basically the end of superheroes. But with superheroes, you get to see them crawling out of this mist. And it's it's really amazing how much like smoke there is and stuff. And you get to see how beaten and battered they are from what they've just gone through and all the things that they have done and experienced and the scars that it has left for them and you are never given a sufficient closure to their relationship and how are they able to reconcile it? It is left incredibly open-ended. And I think that's one of like the great tragedies of the movie. And what is also, I want to say what is so great that they never made a sequel, but they did, which is shock treatment, which is a whole nother um podcast onto itself um for those of you who have not seen shock treatment yes there is a sequel to rocky horror that is made by richard o'brien and has it carries technically you could argue it carries on the plot of the movie but it like doesn't um and it's pretty much like widely seen as like a bad movie and does not hold up uh, but there's still like some midnight showings of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely if you're a, a Rocky Horror fan, I say just like watch it so you can like know what 
else Richard O'Brien made. And right. there's like a couple of like gems in that movie. Um, but for all intents and purposes, we do not get closure and they are left to deal with their infidelity as the criminologist gives the final monologue. It's a tragic movie. ending. Yeah. And, you know, he says some insects and on the, the planet's face, some insects called the human race lost in time, lost in space and meaning. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like this was this the- is the movie that's like a celebration and it's so happy. And this is probably why they took out superheroes. But I think taking out superheroes just makes it even weirder because you don't really get this lead up to this final these final few lines that the, the criminologist delivers. Whereas superheroes, you get to see that all is not right. Um, and yeah, it's it's I don't I don't want to say that it's a bad choice because it's not. It's brilliant. Oh, it's really emotional. It, it, it is never I have seen this movie probably a hundred times mm-hmm. and I have never expected I always expect to be happy after I see it. And I am happy, but I'm never prepared for that emotional beating it gives me. I somehow get mesmerized by the plot of the movie and think it's all going to be okay. And that maybe this time it'll go a little bit further and I'll get to see like some form of closure, maybe even just see Riff Raff and Magenta on transsexual Transylvania um but it doesn't happen and so it kind of like takes the floor out from under you yeah Um, it's I that's like part of why I was like okay I'm just not gonna watch it until like the day that we record because like it really like makes me really sad afterwards like I, I find the ending really really sad and uh I don't know I mean like maybe I'm reading too much into it but it's also kind of just like this moment as a queer person and then especially watching it as a young queer person where it's like the joy is over, the night is over, and like now we have to go back to our regular lives. It's it's kind of how I feel like whenever I have a really good night where mm-hmm. I go out to like a queer party or like a queer BDSM party and I have an amazing scene, you get this feeling that it's like I never want it to end. But it has to end. Everything has to end. Yeah, absolutely. And so you go home and you're still on this high. And then you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning and you have to go to work. And you feel the drop. You know, it's yes. what people call like sub drop or dom drop. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And or I, just like mood drop in general. Yes. And I always experience that really heavily after I do anything and after I do a scene and or even just like having a drop after having a really amazing queer party and then like having to go back and be around straight people (laughs) and it's just any queer space really yeah and I'm fortunate enough to like be around like a decent amount of like gay people at my job who like I don't have to like hide myself and who I am like I can like talk about shit and be like oh my girlfriend or like oh blah blah blah, gay like and I can talk about these things and it's okay but even still it's like a whole nother thing to go 
to a queer party and to just be like, wow, everyone I'm hanging out right now with right now is either like a woman or a trans person and we're all really fucking gay and we're all just like living our best lives um and to leave those spaces is definitely a drop and we've created those spaces kind of like how frank has like curated this space where he's like completely free but it has to end for him because like you said it can't last forever it can't last forever And, and that's the tragedy in his character and in the narrative of the show. I'm sure there are many people who could watch this and take away that the message is pleasure is bad. It is, it is a rabbit hole too deep. Um, You cannot get out of it and it is too alluring. It is like it corrupts absolutely pleasure. And so that it's seen as the demonization of pleasure. But the reality is that Frank's, character flaw is he doesn't want it to end he doesn't want to go back to transsexual transylvania um he doesn't want to own up to the lives that he has shattered and the people he's hurt and it is his undoing and so it's not the pleasure because riffraff and magenta and columbia and brad and janet and everyone else in the movie uh enjoys the pleasure Um, So it's not the pleasure aspect of it that is the great bad guy of the story. It's the inability to own up to your own humanity. Um, And Frank's not really a human, but it, it still holds water that you need to know when to stop. Mm. When I am doing a scene and I'm bottoming... I never want it to end, but I, I know for me that it's like I have to take responsibility and end things. I can't, as much as I would like to be fucked 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I can't live that life. It's not feasible um, and it's not responsible. And if you were to live like that, You'll have a hell of a lot of really good pleasure and great sex, but it will all come crashing down and you'll end up at superheroes. Perfect way to end the discussion. (laughs) Um, June, thank you so much. You are amazing. I just like you came so prepared and like. Thank you for having me on. This is honestly my favorite movie, I think, ever. I have many favorite movies and I'm not like a super movie buff or anything, but getting to talk about someone with this and like it has brought me new lenses. Like we were just talking about um, like Eddie is like a fat queer icon um, and all these other things like the service aspects of it are just things I had. I have seen this movie a million times and getting to talk about it with people. I think it's my favorite favorite thing well yeah it like doing this with you has like renewed my like love and obsession with this movie and you know sometimes I avoid it even for years at a time just because it's so emotional for me and like rewatching it and like hearing your perspective on it and like things I hadn't thought about and it's just like you you always get something new when you watch this movie you get a new thing from it 
And that's like the beauty of it and why it continues to be relevant. Uh, you know, it's made in 1975 and it's 2019. Like, I try to watch it like once a year. Yeah. Even if I don't get to a movie sh- showing, I, I will watch it around like Halloween or something. But it really has brought me so much pleasure and joy to get to share it with other people. And like I said earlier, to know that this movie touched so many people and regardless of who it came from and how it got made, it has changed the destinies of so many queer people and given us so much to love and fight for um, and power within ourselves when we could I'm gonna like start crying oh my god me too you're gonna make me cry like the way you're talking about is so beautiful it really is like it gave me the power as like a young trans woman when I didn't really know how to even begin the process of coming out to like have something that was my own and I remember like my dad being like you like that movie that's weird like it was (laughs) like it was a thing and like none of my friends were into it really for the most part, um, but it was like it gave me one realm in, into like a peek into a future, and little would I know that I would have my own little slice of pleasure in the yes. the many years to come. Yes, absolutely, and we're like both living that truth now, which yeah. is like really emotional, and like I just feel so much like love and sympathy for our teen selves and I just want to like reach back in time and tell those girls like you're gonna have that like and I can't wait to know where I'm gonna be in five years watching this movie and, and and seeing how I feel about it then and seeing what it does to me and my feeling of wanting to reach back to my earlier self but that that movie will always fucking be there yeah well do you want to tell people, if you're okay with it, where to find you on social media? Yeah, okay. So my my uh, social media is at anarcho underscore slut. <laughs> <laughs> Always funny. I was just like tweeting about this the other day, but people will come up to me at events and be like, oh my God, you're anarcho slut. I know. People are like, you're fat goth. I'm like... <laughs> That is true. And that is I, my name. I am fat. <laughs> Legally. I am God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, you could find me there. I, I'm working on a lot of writing stuff. I'm, I'm writing stories and stuff constantly. I have a, I should have like said this at the beginning, but I was just so like nervous. That's um, totally fine. I have, I have a story coming out um, in the next edition of best lesbian erotica amazing congratulations um, thank you um i can't wait to read it it's called my sweet femme nightmare oh my god june um, and i'm I, the the thing is don't tell anyone because i'm not supposed to talk about it uh because i'm still waiting for the okay to talk about it publicly but i'm doing it anyway because people are like oh you're a writer what do you write what do you write and it's like okay well i'm gonna be published in this book that comes out like at the end of the year um, so don't tell anyone, but I'm going to be in it um, unless they, through this editorial process, determine that I'm not, in which case you will get it anyway. It just won't be in that. Well, collection. amazing. Well, I think it says something really cool about my life that I know like three women that have been in best lesbian erotica yeah. <laughs> collections. Like that is so like I, I'm so my 13 year old Annie would be so proud. Um, 
That's amazing. Congrats. I can't wait to read it. Um, you can find me uh, at uh, Girls Guts Jalo at, uh, in t- on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow my personal account at Fat Goth, F-A-T-G-A-W-T-H, on Instagram. And you can also donate to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Girls Guts and Jalo. Uh, please consider looking at it and donating to it. It means a, a lot to me. It really helps me to do this podcast. And uh, until next time. I'm Annie Rose Malamet, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Jello. Michael Rainey was there the day the earth stood still. But he told us where we stand. And Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear. Claude Rains was the invisible man. Then something went wrong. They Ray and King Kong They got caught in a cellular jam Then at a deadly pace It came from outer space And this is how the message ran